Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. The, the view is from public health, by the way, that this variant is so transmissible that it's almost impossible to stop transmission in relation to it. Hopefully, and it's a bit early yet, I acknowledge uh, that we are seeing uh, some positive signals in terms of, the, of, of this wave um, of this particular variant. Today on the Indo-Daily, creaking under COVID, is Ireland's healthcare system on the brink of collapse? Well, over the weekend and uh, for most of last week, actually, we heard some very serious warnings from medical organisations representing all hospital staff. A shortage of hospital beds, burnt out staff, long waiting lists and pent up demand from very ill people who had their care paused during the pandemic were just some of the factors. And in all of this, the ever concerning case of COVID We've even had suggestions that a return to a mandate on masks indoors or uh, people working from home again might be the government intervention needed to address this crisis. So what is happening within our hospital and healthcare system and what can be done, if anything, to help alleviate some of the pressures? I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me today are Dr. Catherine Motherway, Intensive Care Specialist at University Hospital Limerick and Philip Ryan, Political Editor at the Irish Independent. I would like to see the mask mandate return. Uh, I would like to see them going more than this rather anemic recommendation. Uh, I think it's not too much to ask and we're not talking about doing this indefinitely. Philip, emergency legislation has expired as of last Friday, but it seems like, you know, we haven't stopped talking at all about COVID. What is going on in terms of the politics of this? Um, and I'm t- talking here about both the health aspects, the healthcare sector and what they're saying, and then the political side of everything. Okay, so on the the legislation front, the the emergency measures that were introduced all the way back in March 2020, which gave the government the power to introduce restrictions, that has expired. They uh, extended this when when it was first introduced in March 2020. They extended it a number of times throughout the pandemic to give themselves the the freedom or the power to impose restrictions on the public to to stop the spread of the virus. So that's gone now. That's a big that's a big deal. It's a it's kind of a a, a turning point in the the way we address the pandemic. And it's notable in that it shows that the government really don't have any big interest in imposing more restrictions. And okay, that's that's um, 
doesn't sit well with a lot of the people who are working in the health service, the, the nurses unions, the, the, the hospitals themselves. They're seeing huge spikes in cases, huge amounts of hospitalizations. But the government is very much of the view, and this is backed up by public health advice from Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan, that um, at, at the current phase of this pandemic now, is that we, we won't be using restrictions to stop the spread of the virus. What we'll be using is more vaccines. What we'll be using is the the, the, the like the, just the general uh, health and safety guidelines that we have. You'll still have to wear masks in health settings, but like in shops and in restaurants and, and, and elsewhere, they're, they're just, just not in that space at the moment. And it is, they have got advice on this. It, it, last Friday, or last Thursday rather, um, they, they met with the CMO and, and discussed all this. And it, 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 it is still... The, the view that there, no restrictions are needed. And we know that COVID is, is spreading uh, faster than ever at the moment and people are uh, choosing whether to wear masks or not in in uh, certain areas like the supermarkets, for example. But, you know, at the end of the day, Philip, you have uh, frontline workers dealing with the fallout of all of this. What are the healthcare uh, organisations saying about all of this? Yeah, very much so that they want at least the masks to come back. They want something put in place to try to stop the spread of this. It is um, clogging up hospitals. Surgeries are being cancelled. And there's just a, a huge, like this is, it's kind of a busy time of year. Um, anyway, the, the, the early part of the year, the winter months, but like things would normally ease off and get a little bit less busy in hospitals around this time of the year. And they're just not seeing that. And they're just seeing bigger, larger numbers of patients coming in with COVID. And of course, there's the, the added side of that is that a lot of people, when they go to hospital, then get COVID because there's there's so much in the actual wards. So that, that that's an issue for the government as well. But as I said, there, there is really no appetite from the government side to, to reimpose anything on a legal basis as far as restrictions are. The, the advice is still there. The guidelines are the, if, if you want to take the HSE or the health advice, it is very much wear a mask in a crowded situation, but it is just that advice. If Stephen Donnelly, I mean, what are his plans now um, if, if there's a little bit of respite there in terms of, of juggling COVID and everything else um, within the healthcare, be it waiting lists or, um, you know, delays on elective surgery? What are his plans? Do we know anything about this? Well, look, the health service has got record um, amounts of funding in recent years. Huge amounts of resources have been pumped in both before and after COVID and during COVID, of course, as well. So there's a huge amount of money being thrown at the health service to try fix all the problems that have been there long before COVID and have been exacerbated, but obviously, by COVID. When you're talking about the waiting list, when you're talking about people waiting for surgeries and um, for other services, mental health services, all those issues remain. And, and the big salaries. And the big salaries of the, the various people involved. But the, And then there's all the projects, the health projects, like the children's hospital, all those things go on and on and on. And it, it, if, if the, I, COVID has, like I said, has made the problems more acute because obviously things were put off because you couldn't be you couldn't do a lot of the the non-elective the the non-emergency surgeries during that period so there's more waiting lists if the hospitals are saying at present that they're still they're 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 um packed up and there's there's too much COVID knocking around, then that's going to be, that's going to delay them even further, as we've already seen this week. Do we know if any of these uh, calling cards will be dealt with at government level, or is it pretty much that life must go on and we have to start dealing with other issues within that sector? 
Yes, yeah, certainly. And and the approach to the the pandemic is is it, we're in a new uh, section of it or a new um, a new way of dealing with it that it, it is not going to be dealt with by restrictions. It's going to be dealt with by getting boosters. There's still a lot of people who haven't got their third booster shot out there, something like seven hundred thousand, and that's having a, an impact as well. And when you dig into the figures of the people who are in hospitals, there's a large proportion, over half, who who are unva- who haven't had their booster or are unvaccinated. Like that, that's the reality of it. So the 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 vaccines work, and if you want to get away with a mild case of COVID like that that's what you're very much going to be asked to do and on the other side of it the, the isolation period which is causing havoc with workforces because people are having to take seven days off work if they have uh, some sort like if they test positive even if their symptoms are quite mild is that they, they might reduce that to five days where it is in, in other countries in the States and elsewhere to to allow allow people get back to work essentially and yeah, and but it does it does throw open the question that if you have somebody going back to work after five days um, after they've they've had COVID and they still uh, m- might not be feeling terribly well themselves, are are you getting people back into a workforce and not being able to function at a hundred percent? Yeah, but there would be plenty of people on the other side as well who have who will get over it in five days. You know, it's not a there's not a fixed term with COVID. It doesn't like some people have getting long COVID. It could be going on for weeks and months. Some people get over it in a day or two. So it's just to give the flexibility there to to employers and to to workers who want to get back as well. Like there's plenty of people who get COVID and they're sitting at home for seven days, going, "Well, I'm feeling fine here now, day five. Like, what am I? Why am I staying in my front room?" Yeah, and what the beauty of that is that they could still work from home. Couldn't they? Depends on the job, obviously. But yeah, yeah, in a lot of instances, and there's a big push in government for that too. Yeah, well, that's a good point because this is one of the things that the health services are are, uh, talking about, that staff absences are having a huge impact on um, the the crisis. Yeah, there's there's thousands upon thousands of healthcare staff every week who can't go into work. It it is trickier with them um, clearly because they you don't want someone walking around wards with COVID and and giving it to patients. But there was while there was always a little bit more flexibility given to the the health service workforce throughout the pandemic on those isolation periods for this very reason that there's so many of them end up with getting COVID in the first place because they're on the the cold face and they're they're out there dealing with it day in the day, day in day out and. And then you just you just need them back in work, unfortunately. Yeah, and you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were pointing fingers um, at the likes of the UK with this kind of herd immunity um, process. Uh, that's essentially what the government's doing now, isn't it? I mean, you know, it is. There, there is that kind of sense that we're all going to catch COVID at some point. Yeah, it's it's herd immunity, but with vaccines. That's, I think, the difference in approach that uh, was happening with the UK at the start, that they had this kind of idea that, sure, look, let everybody get it and everyone will build up immunity quicker. Um, we didn't do that. Most countries didn't do that. We, we very much didn't do it. But there is an element of that now that, that if... If you're, the vaccines are there to protect you and the government is going, this thing is just spreads too uh, wildly at the moment that th- there's nothing really, apart from, uh, as, as Stephen Donnelly was quoted as saying this week, apart from imposing level five restrictions, which I don't think anybody's in the space of that. 
It's it's almost like a, a perfect storm again, uh, Dr. Motherway. You have, you know, the, the COVID cases um, are very high. You have a, a pent-up demand from very ill people. You have uh, a workforce who haven't uh, been able to catch a breath for two years. Um, and, and now you have, you know, uh, um, organisations within the medical sector being very vocal and saying, look, we need the mandate to wear face masks um, to return and, uh, you know, people maybe to work from home because the knock-on effect it's having on staff is pretty pretty serious, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty significant in terms of, of the stress of going to work and not knowing whether or not you'll have enough people to actually provide a service. And if you don't have enough people to provide a service, you're there with men or women down and trying to actually provide a service. So I can understand the calls for it. Um, but I mean, nobody ever told the Irish public not to wear masks. They just said you don't have to, but they yeah. did advise them to. So I wouldn't take public transport personally without a mask on. I wouldn't get into an enclosed space, a small enclosed space with close proximity to other human beings at this moment in time without a mask. Nobody has stopped people from wearing masks. People have chosen some individuals not to wear them and um, because they have been given that right obviously mm. in the last what is it four weeks now um, and, and some people found them very difficult but that said the individual risk to a fully vaccinated young person from Omicron is not huge but I suppose what a mask mandate might do is diminish the entire population risk So the people should wear masks but the, the regulatory um, situation wouldn't, in my view at this stage, um, uh, change the, the, the hospital pressures is the point I make. And if you're immunocompromised or you are someone who knows that you're on drugs or you have a disease, that means your immune system doesn't work that well, then you should seriously consider getting a proper FFB2 mask, which will protect you as well as protecting others. A lot of the cloth masks, the wearing of those protects the people around you more than they protect you. But obviously the cumulus effect of a lot of people wearing them is, is good for the population. But for individual protection, the masks that we have been using in healthcare, which is FFB2 and FFB3 masks, are particularly good at protecting you against um, infection, provided you also do the hand hygiene, the not touching your face, the ensuring that you, you know, wash your hands before and after putting on your mask, wash your hands before and after you go in the hospital. All of that stuff is really important on an individual basis. And it's particularly important for those of us in our community who are vulnerable either because of their age or their immunity or other conditions. So I still see quite a lot of people wearing masks, I have to say, um, yeah. in, in, in situations. There are quite a lot of people wearing them. And, and I would imagine as the numbers go up, people will wear them more. So nobody is stopping people from wearing them. Dr. Motherway, can I ask you, because, you know, you have a huge amount of experience working in the Irish healthcare sector. And prior to this pandemic, we had uh, problems in terms of, um, you know, uh, patient care and services and waiting lists and all that kind of thing. Then we had the pandemic um, and, and now we have the problems with the current COVID figures. Is there any way to fix our health system? There is no doubt that we have a capacity problem. We don't have enough beds. During the austerity years, beds were closed, services were peeled back and relative to a lot of other OECD countries, we do not have 
a sufficient redundancy in the system to cope with peaks and troughs like we have seen and like we see every winter. Every winter for the last 20 odd years, um, we see in Ireland around about peak flu season, a large number of patients coming into hospital with unscheduled care um, and scheduled care as a result being deferred. And that's not a victimless crime. So if you are the poor misfortune with your hip and you're, you know, you're in agony with pain and you can't move around the place, means that you, you know, that you, number one, suffer for a, a further period of time with your hip pain you may put on weight it's it's pretty it's bad for you i mean if you have a cataract surgery that's deferred you can't see properly you might fall over and break your hip there is a tendency always to defer to schedule care and that is not a victimless crime and you know and and you can see why obviously the you know you, you have to triage people so if your system is beginning to get overwhelmed and you don't have enough beds you're going to have to put off those people that don't need immediate care but we don't have enough beds and we don't have enough protected beds for scheduled elective surgical care and that needs to be addressed now they are addressing that to a point in inchlanta care and that they say they're going to build what, three elective hospitals. But in the interim, we do need to find a way to ring fence any extra beds that are produced for um, scheduled care. Now, obviously, time critical care and cancer care, we're trying our best to keep that going. We're also trying our best to ensure that the screening um, systems, such as, you know, cervical check, breast check, um, the colonoscopy screening, those are really important services to keep going despite surges in activity because they actually find early cancers and treat them very efficiently. And they tend sometimes to be stood down, but I think we're beginning to rise as we go further on. But you can't stand down services like that because, uh, as one of my colleagues said the other day, you know, today's scheduled case will be tomorrow's emergency if we don't deal with it. So there's no doubt we need investment in infrastructure. We need investment in staff. Um, and, you know, yes, there, there have no doubt there are loads of areas where we, we are, you know, considered to be wasteful by various people. But we have a population that demand a very high level of care and they are correct and they deserve it. So there is a, there's, there's two issues. One, we didn't have enough resources and two, our population is aging, but aging well and therefore requiring ongoing elective care as we get older and as we manage our chronic diseases better. And we have more and more treatments. So healthcare has, in a funny way, gotten better, even though sometimes you look at the numbers and you think it hasn't. It has gotten much better. I'm Siobhan McGuire, and today's Indo-Daily was presented and produced by myself, researched by Gareth Mulhall, with sound design by John Smith. Clips from independent.ie RTE Radio 1's Today Show, the one o'clock news on RTE 1 and News Talk. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.